series because it's only three weeks long, but it's called Our Values. And the timing is such that as we begin a new ministry year, September 1, we know a lot of you moved during the summer, some of you are transplants, recent transplants from somewhere else, and you're trying to figure out, uh, where do I want to be on Sundays? We thought, man, this is the right time to actually develop a series around what does it mean to be part of City Church and to drop anchor. And so the first two weeks, we talked about what does it mean to be Jesus-centered in all things. And that's kind of on the nose. You would expect that out of a church, maybe different language, but still the idea of the centrality of Jesus, not uncommon. Last week, we talked about community, real community. And again, I mean, if you pretty much go to any church, chances are that'll be one of their core values. But this week, this is the one that as we've been sharing our values, this is the one that people go, huh, not sure I saw that coming necessarily. What does that mean? What is that value? Well, it means to be wholehearted. Here's the poster. It's on the wall, uh, but it's the one that you've seen here. Uh, obviously, you can't read that unless you're, uh, you've got you know, Superman vision. You're not going to be able to read what that subtitle is. Let me read it for you. We seek to live integrated, seamless lives of faith, allowing the gospel to shape every aspect of our lives. Seamless lives of faith. One of the things we're going to talk about this morning is honesty. What is honesty? What does it mean to to have a life of honesty? I love what humorist and writer Mark Twain said about this. He said, when I was a boy, I was walking along a street and happened to spy a cart full of watermelons. I was fond of watermelons, so I sneaked quietly up to the cart and snitched one. Then I ran into a nearby alley and sank my teeth into the melon. No sooner had I done so, however, that I felt a strange feeling come over me. Without a moment's hesitation, I made my decision. I walked back to that cart, replaced that melon, and took a ripe one. (laughs) Honesty about dishonesty, right? There you go. Uh, I love that. But honesty is much more than meets the eye. And this is why we're turning to Psalm 26 and what David does here with what he says. But I want to suggest to you that if we can learn what does it mean to be wholehearted, what does it mean to have a life of integrity? Now, I guarantee you this, that you're going to experience alignment. You're going to experience a sense of peace, shalom, is the Hebrew word for that, that we're all made for. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about what is it. We're going to start with a definition. Second, we're going to talk about why is it so important? Why include it as one of our core values here at City Church Eastside? Then finally, how do we get it? Is that the sort of thing that you just read a book about? How do we get it? So we're going to talk about the first year, what it is. And just so I'm going to be kind of moving fairly fast to this first point, And that's in, on purpose because we're going to come back to the first point and the next two points after that, just so you know. So first of all, what's going on here? Verse 1, it says this, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now, David wrote roughly about a third of the Psalms. And in most of those instances, like all the other Psalms, we don't know what was going on. We don't have the historical context. We just know that David's life from other places in Scripture, there was plenty of trial. There's plenty of testing. Some of those tests are are pretty well known. But we know this, that, that David is in some sort of place where he's being pressured. He's experiencing some sort of trial. And he's appealing to God based upon his sense of integrity. So very first one, we see integrity. And then at the very end of the psalm, or nearly at the end, in verse 11, it says, 
But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. So what David is doing is he's setting sort of his, his boundary markers at the beginning and the end. He says, this is about integrity. It's about, as we would say, to have a whole heart, as it were. So let me share three things as to what it is. What does it mean to be wholehearted? Number one, it means to live an undivided life. To live an undivided life. Well, exactly what does that mean? Well, I'm not a whiz kid in math. Some of you are, by the way. I know that. But I, I know enough about math to know the difference between a fractional number and an, and an integer. A whole number. You see, the very root for integrity, an integer is the same. It means, it means to be whole, as it were. Integer, whole number. And so, to be undivided has to have a sense of wholeness, fullness in our hearts. Now, it's not less than ethics. A lot of times today when you hear people talk about integrity, right, you hear about ethics in the marketplace or ethics, academic integrity, that sort of thing like that. But it, it, it's not less than that, believe me, but it's, it's more than that, as we're going to see here from the psalm. It means to have an alignment between your inner world and your outer world. The other word I like to use is integration. Sound familiar? Integrity, integration. Same idea. The root there is alignment. That, that I am inside who I am on the outside. We today talk about, are we in public who we are in private and vice versa? Now, so you might be looking at this and say, well, man, David looks like he's doing pretty well here. He seems to be, uh, you know, he's appealing to his integrity. Well, we're going to come to that later on. You're going to see that, no, he's not the perfect gentleman, as we're going to see in a second. And, and there's reason for why he sets it up the way he does here. But I, I first want you to see here that that integrity means alignment. And the best way to think about this is imagine that there is a camera rolling in your life, not just who you are in public, but also who you are in private. How many of you would be okay with an unedited tape of your life? Every thought, every action, every word, every deed. How many of you would feel comfortable having someone else in this congregation review and view that tape? <laughs> we know the answer to that. It's a foregone conclusion. No way. At least one of the edited version of that. Tape. Well, see, right there, what we're saying is we understand that we're living a divided life. We understand that there's a, there's a misalignment, as it were, between who we project you know, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, here at City Church. We understand that there's a, there's a gap in our humanity. comes with the territory, we might say. So the first thing here is I want you to see that, that the goal here is to understand what does it mean to have an undivided life. Now, we're going to come back to that here in a second, as I said. But here's the second thing. Wholeness is holiness. The other thing that we're seeing this from David here is that, that to be whole has to be connected with the character and the person of God. Look at verses 6 and 7. I wash my hands in innocence and, and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving out loud and telling all your wondrous deeds. For David, his sense of integrity is integrally related to the character of God, to the temple. See, you know, we have churches, we have synagogues, that sort of thing. But, but the only thing that they had back then was the temple in Jerusalem, right? It's where David as the king always was. And, and, and so David, the king, who's the public face of Israel, what's he saying? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, my goal is that there be alignment between my, my public life as your servant standing before God and who I am. And, and what he 
what he's proclaiming, what he's declaring is, look, God, I stand in your presence in the temple. And this is where I declare, this is how I know that I'm aligned with you. This is important because today there are plenty of resources, plenty of people who will tell you how to get integrity. Years ago, I think it was a Harvard Business Review article, they're talking about ethics, integrity in the marketplace, in, in the workplace. And they're saying all the number of reasons why you should live with integrity. It, it's typically, it's good for the bottom line, right? We all know what happened to Enron, for instance. Not good for the bottom line, cheating and that sort of thing like that. We understand that there, there are reasons, there are principles in place, the article was saying, for why we should behave a certain way in the business world. And the other thing that the article mentioned was, you don't want to get caught. You know, I mean, there, there are legal ramifications. You could lose your job after all. Things like that. And so there's a sense of morality, actually, that was being created within this article. And let me tell you, let me say this. It was all good. Like, those are all good things. We should all have that same mentality to a certain degree, I think, even as Christians. Like, we should, yeah, so it's good to not lose your job. It's good to, to be ethical. But here's the thing. Everything the article was saying was saying, look, you don't want to get caught. It's based on fear. It's a form of moralism. Uh, you want to you make sure the bottom line's not hit too hard. Well, that's a form of fear. See, David is saying, no, no, integrity, integrity. See, if, if this world is all that there is, we will naturally turn to fear as the basis for integrity. But not, not so, or at least not the fear, not the fear of our world. There's another type of fear. It's called reverence. And this is where David is. David is saying, it's because of who you are. I'm responding to who you are. Temple life, I call it, right? How important is this? And now let's go to this. So, we dropped off Karis yesterday. Um, gosh, I knew I was going to. By the way, I should not have been preaching this weekend. Uh, why I signed myself up. I'm responsible for the preaching calendar, and I signed myself up for the weekend that we dropped our, our first girl off in college. Dumb idea, Scott. Because um, it didn't give me the space to, to, to really reflect and think and that I needed. But, but the, the, the process at Covenant College, where she is, is actually a two-day thing which I think every college and a lot of what we experienced should do it that way. But we didn't have that growing up, at least not at Furman University. And so, and so yesterday in the morning, we had a worship service together. And they went through their six core convictions of what makes Covenant College, Covenant College. And one of the things that they said that just was profound and yet, yes, of course, but yet profound, was they said, look, we have phenomenal academics here. Like, I mean, they are. I mean, Covenant is known for their academic prowess and their excellence in the Christian college community. Some of the best academics in the Christian world you can get at Covenant College. We, we knew that going in there. And they said, look, we're, we're, this is important to us and, and developing you for a career and so forth. All important. He says, but the most important, none of that matters. None of that matters unless we form your character. And, and character development is about, they said, spiritual formation. And in six core convictions, after one after another, after another, after another, they said it comes back to the character of God. It comes back to, to knowing who He is, knowing the gospel and the good news. You know? And I, was, and I, I tell you, you know, we got in the car yesterday and we're like, she's in good hands. Because this is a place that believes in integrity. Like academic integrity. Like, it begins with the formation of who you are, and that's what they're about. They want that more than anything else. 
I'm like, that's good. That's what David is saying here. It's about holiness. Wholeness and holiness, you see. But here's the last thing. Undivided holiness. Last thing, is, what is it? It's the thing that governs your life. It's the thing that governs your life. David is very clear in these verses, especially when he goes to the temple. And oh, so many, half this psalm is just about being in the temple and saying, I walk with you. Look at verse 3 uh, as an example of that. He says, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. In other words, there's integration, like my whole life, you know, like, uh, a lot of action verbs in this uh, Psalm 26 here. Like, everywhere I go, I walk with integrity, he says here. You know, and, and so in other words, it permeates everything, everything that he's about. My girls love when I make homemade ice cream. Right, Camille? Um, and, and so uh, usually it's actually uh, Carly who's, who's calling for it. Uh, but she, she said, she, and so I, I make peppermint ice cream. And it's one of those Cuisinarts, you know, where you take the frozen ball and, you know, you mix all the stuff together, make it easy on me. And I just take one drop, just maybe two, but usually it's just one drop of peppermint oil, that essential oil. I just put one drop in there, and it, man, you literally watch it. There's something about the oil and that suspension of the, of the milk and the cream and so forth that it just, like, just moves to the edges really fast. Like, it just goes everywhere. And then you mix it all in there, and every bite of that ice cream has a taste of the peppermint oil in it, right? You know that, peppermint, peppermint ice cream. and Well, that's sort of like what he's saying integrity is. It's the sort of thing that just permeates everything about who you are. You don't say, you don't say well, you know what? I've got to go to work today. I guess I've got to turn my integrity on. You know, I don't want to get caught. Right? That's, that doesn't work, of course. It's, that's shallow. It's not going to work for you. It won't last long, at least. But, so what he's saying is, no, this is the sort of thing that just it permeates your character. It's foundational. It's like DNA. You know, it, it'll just replicate itself. <laughs> a pattern, a blueprint, wherever it goes. And that's, sort of, that's what integrity is, he says here. And it's connected to the character of our holiness, he says. It's why I think in verse 2, he says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Prove me. You know, bakers do this, the, the proof loaf. You know what I'm talking about? Or it's an inspection, and what do they do with a batch of something that's being produced in the industrial world or in some other uh, production of some sort? What happens there? You, they, they inspect it. They, they, they don't just look at one batch of it. They look at different parts of the batch, as it were. And what they're doing is they're, they're testing. They're, they're proving it. And what, what David is saying is, look, because integrity is permeating my whole being, look, I, I'm, I'm wide open. Test me. Try me. And I think, Lord, you'll, as, I, as I stand here in your temple, a place of your holiness, your character on display, you know, I want to bring the best of who I am to you. And I, I think you're going to see there's alignment right now. As I face the persecution or whatever it is that David is facing, he's saying, look, test me, prove me. You know, and, and I think you're going to see that, that my, my heart is whole, that who I present myself as a king on the outside is true here on the inside. So that undivided holiness governs. So why does it matter so much? Why should it matter so much? Here's the second thing. Here at City Church and just being followers of of Jesus Christ. Well, it's because of the world that we live in. Look at verse 4. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with with hypocrites. And this is just one of a number of things that he says about but the world that he lives in. And I think what, what David is saying is like part of the pressure, at least part of the pressure 
that I'm experiencing has to do with the temptations of a different world. What's being offered to me, right? And we know, coming back to this later, we know that David didn't always succeed in the area of pressure and trials as a king. But here, it's different at least. And what he's saying with the word hypocrite, or what he's saying is, is uh, I don't want to be two-faced. Now, I know that we have actors in our congregation. You know, we are the Hollywood of the East after all. And <laughs> although I know that people are suffering right now in the, in the worker strike, but nevertheless, like, we understand, like, you know, a hypocrite, what is that? It actually comes from the stage. And it actually comes from the Greco-Roman world. So the Greek plays that were quite famous in their day, they didn't have CGI. They didn't have the ability to turn out these amazing outfits and theatrical, you know, stuff that we just take for granted today that we can do because of technology. And so what they had to do is they created these masks. And, and there'd be a happy face mask, and there'd be a sad face mask, that sort of thing, and, or angry and happy laughter, that sort of thing. And so these actors would get up on the stage, and they put one mask on to play that part, and then put the other mask on to play a different part, right? That's, that's what it means. And it was a positive thing when it's on the stage. But what David is saying is, like, it's not a positive thing when you get off the stage. And you're just a different person. A lot of you are brand new to Atlanta, or you've at least come in the last decade, so you may not know about this, but about 12, 13 years ago, there was a devastating scandal in the public school system of Atlanta. In fact, it was so big, and some of you will remember this, have been here, it was so big, they didn't just make national news, but international news. What was happening was that in the public schools, the funding is correlated to test scores, okay? And that's, that's normal. Your funding for what you get into the future is based upon how well you're doing on the test. So what was happening wasn't just that the teachers were writing in the answers for the students or giving the answers. It was the administrators of the school. So those in power above them. And and when they did the investigation, they found it wasn't just happening at just local schools. Higher and higher and higher you went up into the system, realized that, man, this thing was rotten, like a rotten tree. You know, and there's a whole, I've said this before years ago, there's a whole generation of students in the city of Atlanta that did not get an education because of this. Now, how did that happen? How did, how did the administrators in a position of power make that decision in order to get an extra few million dollars? That sort of, like, that, that's not something that happens overnight. This is where I, this is so important. Your integrity, your ethics, you know, it's not when, when the big threat, existential threat happens, when the big pressure point happens, it's in the small things first. None of what happened in the Qing scandal happened in the classroom. It happened in the hearts of the individuals who began to justify in smaller ways probably prior to the cheating scandal, and it led to something massive and big. I think this is really important because most of us will never do what they did in that cheating scandal. Most of us won't do even what David did with, with Bathsheba later on, right? Most of us will not be there in those big things of ethics and integrity, but it's in the small things. It's really important for us to see because we can easily say, well, I'm not quite like that. It's different for me. No, it's you. It's me. It's in the small things. You know, as a pastor, how easy it is to put on a persona that isn't real. I spend a lot of my time with pastors for 25 years, right? A lot of my friends are pastors, as you can imagine. It's like, 
You get me. What does C.S. Lewis said about friendship? One person is saying to the other, other person, you too. Right? That's, that's a definition of friendship. Like, so you're like, you understand my world. And, and in your line of work, you get that, right? If you're a teacher, teachers get you better than anyone else. If you're in business, people in business get you better than anyone else and so forth. But for me as a pastor, you know, as pastors, we talk and we talk about this. That, that pressure, you know, to, to deliver a sermon worthy of Louis Giglio, Andy Stanley, or Tim Keller. You know, the, you know the pressure on that in our digital age where it's so easy for you to get the best of communication out there? Think about that, how easy it is. In just one generation, new pressures on pastors. Uh, let me tell you this. I never preach a sermon that I don't first do my own work. It may stink to the high heavens at the end of the day, but I want you to know that the first thing I do is I think, what is it that I believe about this passage? How do, and I shape it and I form it. And sometimes I get to Saturday and it's a mess. And at that point I say, okay, what did Tim Keller say? <laughs> or what did Charles Spurgeon say? Or someone else, right? We do, that's, that's good. Like we, because we want to do stuff with excellence. But let me tell you, I know firsthand the pressure of preaching someone else's sermon. And if I did that, I had no integrity. And that's true in any field, by the way. It's true in any field. See, I think ultimately at the end of the day, this is about having a false sense of self. If you know who you are, you'll let the chips fall. That's fine. But man, when you're struggling with a sense of identity, sense of self, of worth, and who you are, you'll put on someone else's jacket. You'll put on someone else's clothing. I think that's the integrity that a lot of us in here wrestle with. There's a, there's a woman named Sheila Walsh. You probably don't know her name as I say that. But, but you know the show, that a lot of you will know at least of the show that she was on. She was, a, she was a, a co-host of a show called The 700 Club. Now, there are a lot of you in here like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just Google it. But it was back during uh, the big hair days of the 80s. And there's something about Christian subculture that is so weird and odd sometimes. So this is one of those things. And there's a show called The 700 Club where they, they had the big hairdos, at least the women on the programs did. And so she was a very famous co-host on the show, but she had a psychotic break. And she eventually wrote an autobiography about her fall from grace, so to speak. This is a show where, in terms of cultural power, and in terms of wealth, The 700 Club was it. I mean, it was the big thing back in the day. I want to read just one paragraph from her autobiography. Listen to this. She says, One morning, I was sitting on national TV with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo. (laughs) And that night, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing God could have done to me. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, Who are you? This is what she said. I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. That's not what I meant. Who are you? I don't have a clue, I said. And he replied, now that's right. And that's why you're here. Most of us in here will not have that extreme of a psychotic break. But I, I think there, that we have the same temptation. And it is to be known by what we do, to be known by who we are, 
apart from God. Frederick Beekner, pastor himself, in a work called Telling Secrets, he said this, the original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. Instead, we live out of all the other selves which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. I think where integrity gets formed is not when things are going well. That's when you're under pressure. That's where you know who you are. That's when you know if there's honesty, if there's wholeheartedness through and through. I remember when I was in ninth grade, and, and uh, I took uh, Latin, and and I was academically I was a very good student, but but languages was where I struggled, and I'll still I'll never forget. I remember it's one of those things where it's like a shot from a television or a video that you you know we all have those in our mind. We remember a certain age, like things like it was yesterday. This is one of them. I remember exactly where I was, and I was struggling with the uh, with the test and the exam, and the star student. And the whole school, when it came to Latin, was sitting right next to me. And my eyes began to wander in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, like we've all been like, you know, and I cheated on that exam right there. And uh, Miss Terry, if you're still alive out there, I just, I'm confessing that now that I did that. Um, but, man, the, who, who you are under pressure? Who, who are you? It's, it's, if I was a star student of Latin, I would not have been tempted to cheat. In the areas of your strength that is natural, you are not tempted to cut corners. It's in the areas of pressure where externally or internally there's pressure to perform and to be different and to change. And that's the place. Now, I've been reading right now an autobiography, a biography of Martin Luther by Eric McTaxis is excellent. And Martin Luther, a great reformer of the Reformation, at the time that, that Luther was nailing the 95 Thesis to the door in the, in the Church of Wittenberg in 1517, people were still being burned at the stake, were being called heretics in the Catholic Church. And the story tells about those people that came before Luther who were burned at the stake. And so when, when he nails the, the Reformation basically to the door... He knows what's, what he's up against. He expects in letter after letter in this war, he says, I expect to die. I expect to die. But very famously, two years later in 1519 in a town called Worms in Germany, he said, I will not recant, for here I stand. I stand nowhere else. He said, the scriptures say this, right? That there is no purgatory. Um, that the po- there is no pope and, and if there was the pope is not infallible things like that that, that burn people at the stake I will sola scriptura I will stand on, on the scriptures alone by grace alone in Christ alone this is where it came from and I thought my gosh what integrity it takes when your life is at stake you know literally who you are when no one's looking Chuck DeGroote who's a friend of mine he wrote this book a work called Wholeheartedness And this is what he said. And while disciplines and boundaries and wise life choices are building blocks of a life well lived, we learn wholeness. More often than not, when our boundaries are shattered, when our disciplines fail us, when our theologies stump us, when our supposedly wise choices betray us. You are primarily formed like a diamond under intense pressure and heat. 
you know that diamonds, they come from lumps of coal. Where Jesus Christ wants to form you, friends, is in the diamond of pressure. It's when, when no one's looking. Right? It's when people are looking, but He wants to form you there. This is so hard. This is why we said it's to live a seamless life. And it begins with your character on the inside. When it's pressured on the outside, it begins on the inside. And let me just give you a, a couple examples of, of how we think about integration here at City Church. You know, one of the things that we're doing in this series is we want to point to things and say, this is why this is a value to us. On one hand, I could point to you, uh, to what we do in terms of building work and life balance around here. You know, some of you know, Mark Castro had a program here for, called Fellows Program for a number of years. I see some of our fellows here, actually. And, and in fact, Covenant College, this week we're dropping off Karis and one of our former fellows, Lily, is now on staff at Covenant College. It was awesome. Ran into, she came up to Karis' room to say hi. I was like, no way, this is crazy, right? And, but the whole Fellows Program was about integration. It was, it was about saying, man, so like about some of you were their bosses at the internships. Like, how do I integrate who I am as a Christian in the workplace, in the marketplace? Or, you know, in, as I prepare for graduate school even, like, how, how do I integrate my life? And so my faith is not just something on Sunday, but it's between the Sundays. And then last week, we did this thing called This Time Tomorrow, where we interviewed Mary Beth Bellinger, talking about education and saying, what is your faith? How do you think about faith? As you think of being a teacher tomorrow morning in a, in a public school where you can't just put your faith out there the way that you can at a private Christian school, for instance. Like, how do you think about that integration, you see? And this is why we stress that. The reason why we do industry prayer here is to stress integration. But integration's deeper than that, as I've been saying. It's one of the reasons why, why we had our family meeting last week. And we shared with you our vulnerability about where we're at financially right now. This church has been around for 18 years, and we've never been in a place like this before. And it's scary. I'm, I've been scared. You know, our, our elders have, our staff have been. This is not an easy place to be. It'd be easy to blame the pandemic and other things like that. But part of, part of, um, part of what integrity means is being vulnerable. I shared that last week about community. Like, we need vulnerability with each other. We have to be honest. We have to share our tears and our, our laughter and our struggles and our vulnerability is what that means. And so my promise to you, as your leaders, as your senior pastors, I will always be like, this is my goal. Like, I want to be a man of integrity in front of you. I want to be a leader of integrity for you. Our elders want that as well. Your leadership wants to be men and, and the women as well. Kirsten and others like, are modeling that. DNA leaders, our, our, new, our, our community group leaders, in all places, our goal is to is to model what integrity looks like. To live these seamless lives of faith where the gospel is bearing down. That being said, here's here's why I want to conclude. How do we get it? If this sounds good to you, or you're saying, I think I have integrity, Scott, but like like David and like you, I I want to work on it. I I want to live that seamless life. I want it to be said of me that who I am in private is the same as what you see in public. So let me give you two things. How do you get it? Number one, you become honest about your dishonesty. The very first thing you must do is not live as as a deceiver. You must become honest before God, vertically and horizontally in a community. This is why we stress. This is the reason why we're building Jesus-centered, real community, 
wholehearted. And part of what it means to be wholehearted is to say, okay, I need to be part of a real community in a DNA group and other things. I need to be committed you know, in a covenant relationship where I could be honest. And how do we get to become disciples? Jesus' centrality. The gospel over everything in all things. This is why these are our three values. Everything, it's a rubric. Everything we do comes under those three things here. And so with this one whole heart, you must become honest about your dishonesty, paradoxically. Why? Because we're in the presence of God always. How do we know that? You see, it's not just that you're here on a Sunday. I mean, imagine if you say, well, you know, I, I need to be different here at City Church. But I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a different kind of parent, different kind of spouse, different kind of roommate. Uh, Monday, I'll be a different kind of worker or my neighborhood. You'd say, wait a minute, there's a problem with that. Why? Because the presence, presence of God goes everywhere we go. You see, here's what's amazing. David is talking about the temple. But what happens when you get the New Testament? John chapter 1, verse 14. And he tabernacled. The word there is templing. He templed with us. In other words, no longer do you go to some place, the temple now comes to you in the form of Jesus, the very presence of God. If you want to know who is God, do can I trust that there is a God? Much less believe that He's for me, not against me. Look to the person of Jesus. But then what happens? That on the other side of the resurrection and his ascension, what does Paul say? First first Corinthians three, sixteen. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Means that wherever you go, the presence of God goes. And what is the goal? And, and when it, you don't have to be particularly religious this morning to get this. That, that when you're in a place of what feels sacred, you're like, oh, man, I, I need to recognize this is sacred. Like, and you want to change, you want to be different sort of thing like that. It's the same thing. The question is, are we mocking the Spirit in us? Because that's where the temple is. Are we mocking Him in a private life? It, what's true about the temple is it filled with holiness. But listen, remember what I said. David is not the perfect person. We know that from elsewhere. But even here, he understands this. Uh, let me just uh, read just a few of these verses. Verse 3. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I will walk in your faithfulness. The steadfast love is the covenant love. He's, he's turning to that. But even more so in verse 9. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. And then, lastly here, verse 11. But as, excuse me, uh, sorry, verse 11, yeah. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Even, even David is saying here, look, I, I need redemption. It was redemption that brought me integrity. It's redemption that I need. So here's the second thing. If the first thing is being honest about dishonesty, the second thing is this. It is to love God's glory. So what do you mean, Scott? Love God's glory. Look at verse 8 with me. The last verse. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Remember what we just got through saying. Where does God's glory dwell? No longer in the temple. No longer at City Church just on a Sunday, but in you. It is to love the Lord with Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. How do you get that? The only way you can get that is for Jesus Christ to have done something for you. Earlier we read from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I love that story. You know, it's a Simon, it's Peter. His name has changed. And, and, and Peter Peter's, doesn't know anything about Jesus. He's just a rabbi. And, and so, you know, Jesus has come along the way there. And the, Jesus hasn't even called him to follow him yet. 
who knows maybe something of Jesus, and, and Peter's a fisherman. That's the one thing that he knows how to do. And, and so, you know, Jesus preaches, and then what happens next in that passage? He says, throw your nets on this side of the boat. Oh, come on, Jesus. You're a rabbi. You're a preacher, basically. What do you know about what I do on Monday? That sort of thing. Well, I don't know. Just throw your nets on that side. Let's see what happens. <sighs> nets are breaking. The catch of a lifetime. Did anyone in hearing it, did anyone say his response was interesting? I certainly think so. He says, go away from me, for I'm a sinner. How many of you would respond that way to abundance in your workplace? But with Jesus, he did. Why? Because he recognized something. There was something in, he, this is something miraculous. And he saw glory. And all throughout the scriptures, when God's people see glory, often there'll be a, both reverent fear, but sometimes the other kind of fear as well. And remember what he says? Do not be afraid. Look, how do you get you honest about your dishonesty? The second, you love glory. And how can we love glory? Because he says to you and me, do not be afraid. My integrity has ensured your integrity. His faithfulness to hang on the cross for you makes it possible. To have wholeheartedness today. And so my prayer for us as a congregation, who would go through everything that we're going through as a people right now, both our church as well as just nationally and internationally, that there'll just be integration for us. And we'll, we'll delight in that love, love on that. And we're talking about that uh, retreat, the Abide Retreat. That's one of the things we're going to talk about and help you process through is integration. What does that look like? We would love to have you be part of that with us. But just to be men and women who are known for our integrity. You know why? Because people who are yearning for that will look at you and say, who's your God? And you get the opportunity of a lifetime to tell them that. May we be that church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, for worship here. It's not just about here today. This is where, uh, this is where we're instructed. This is where... Um, we delight to be in your presence, but we're grateful that as we leave here today, we don't have to wait to get back to the temple. For the temple goes with us, for, for you live with inside us through the Spirit. As we were singing earlier about the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. The Holy Spirit. Would you teach your hearts integrity? There'll be times when we step away from integrity. There'll be misalignment. And what we desperately need at times is to hear you say, I've redeemed you. I've had mercy upon you. My steadfast love hangs over you. And to break our hearts anew and refresh our hearts, to reestablish delight and desire in our hearts, to live lives of alignment, to live lives of being wholehearted. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And now we take some time to respond to God's word.